you'll know that I am not uh, one of the teaching pastors here. My name is Ben. Um, I'm the youth and music director here at our church. And uh, our teaching pastors, Jason and Benjamin, are both uh, away for Christmas already. They're with their families, enjoying uh, time with them. And uh, so they apologize for the fact that the, uh, the heat is broken in here, but they uh, said that they thought it'd be the only way that you guys would stay awake during my sermon. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but um, if, if you guys have been with us throughout the Advent season uh, for our sermon series, then you'll know we've been walking through um, select uh, passages from the book of Isaiah, and we've been pairing those with Christmas hymns that share similar themes to that passage. And so many of the songs that Dave and the band uh, led us in this morning were songs that we have, uh, we have not preached on, we're preaching on the text of Scripture, but that, are, that find, uh, run in similar veins as the themes in those texts. And this morning we're going to be looking at that song we just sang, What Child Is This? And while I'm sure that uh, you all have at least heard this song, let me just read the first two lines of that song. It says, What child is this who, laid to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping? And that question right there, what child is this, is the question that we are going to try to answer this morning. And that question may be, if you're here and you're asking that question this morning, that question might be the most important question that you will ever ask in your entire life. In Isaiah chapter 42, where we're going to be this morning, that text gives us an answer to this question. And it is an answer which ought to make our hearts sing for joy. So if you would uh, look with me at Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, We're going to be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. And uh, if you're using a brown Bible in the back of one of the pews there, it's going to be on page 701. You want to find that there. All right, this is Isaiah 42, 1 through 12. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. 
Let the habitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. I invite you to pray with me now. God, we come to you as people in need, as people who uh, desperately need to hear your words, people who desperately need your grace. And Lord, I pray that we would find that this morning in the text of your word. Lord, I pray that uh, in my preaching of your word, that it would not be man's wisdom that we discovered this morning, but that we would discover the spirit speaking in power so that our hope might rest not in man's wisdom, but in the power of you, our strong and mighty God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Isaiah 42 is a unique passage in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 through 9, this this passage forms the first of what uh, Bible scholars call the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Now, these songs, they're they're not actually songs at all. That's just what they're called. Uh, But they describe these four key passages towards the back end of the book of Isaiah. And if you look at the whole of the book, these four passages kind of rise to the top from the rest of them, in a sense. Because these passages uniquely speak about the hope for a Messiah. A king who would come and who would make all things right. A king who would come and would establish God's justice in the earth. Now, when we, when we hear the word justice, uh, I think as Western people, we tend to think of justice only in terms of legal categories. So when we hear justice, we think of a judge in a courtroom pronouncing either guilty or not guilty over someone. But in the Old Testament concept of justice, while that was a part of it, Uh, The concept of justice in the Old Testament is much broader than that. Justice in the Old Testament, like it's referred to here in Isaiah 42, refers to the state of the world as it ought to be. Creation as God intended it it to be. All working together for his glory. And the servant's mission of justice that he's given in this passage by God was a mission to bring the salvation of God to the world in the broadest sense possible. So we're talking about total restoration, total redemption, total healing, total justice. And this song in Isaiah 42 expressed the longing of Israel for a future leader who would come and make everything right, who would bring about this justice. And it expresses our longing as well. Because whenever we're honest with ourselves, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our relationships, when we look at the world outside of us, we recognize that things are not the way that they ought to be. And there are moments in our life when we feel this very strongly, when it hits us in the face, And maybe you're here this morning and your marriage is screaming this reality to you. This is not the way that things should be. Or maybe you're here this morning and as you look out in the world, as you look at those who are oppressed in other countries and in our own country, 
you say, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Or for Whitley and I, this year, a kid in her, one of her classes that she teaches, a 16-year-old boy was killed in a car crash. Things are not the way that they are supposed to be. And, and to make matters worse for us, when we are honest, we all know that we are ultimately powerless on our own to fix this brokenness. We know that on our own, we are incapable of making things right. And so we, like the people of Israel long ago, we long for a king who can restore our lives and the world to the way things ought to be. And that's exactly what Isaiah 42 gives us. It paints a picture for us of this king who is coming, who would bring about this kind of justice in our lives and in the whole world. And so as we look at the text of Isaiah 42 this morning, uh, we're going to see that there are two aspects to this king. Uh, We're going to see that he is meek and he is majestic. He's both humble and powerful. So let's dive into the text here. I'm going to read verse 1 to start out for us. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now at this point, this picture of God's king looks much like we would expect from God's chosen king. Right? This king is anointed by God, he is empowered by God, he's beloved by God, and he is appointed by God for God's task of saving the world. This is a lot what we would expect. We, this king is powerful, he's anointed, and he is coming to work justice. Let's keep reading. Verses 2 and 3. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Now, if this language feels odd to you, that's a good thing. I think it should feel odd to us here. This is not typical language used to describe a king. A king usually comes crying aloud, lifting up his voice, declaring that he is the king, and he is here, and his kingdom has consequence for you. But this king isn't going to come that way. This past uh, Thanksgiving of this year, um, Whitley, my wife, and I were visiting my in-laws in North Georgia. They live um, about an hour north of Atlanta, and uh, we're heading down there on Wednesday uh, for 12 hours, so you can pray for that. Um, But but much to my delight, after we ate Thanksgiving dinner, uh, Whitley's mom stumbled upon a box of old home videos. And even more to my delight, these videos were from Whitley when she was in second grade, which, if you know anything about my wife, that was a prime time in Whitley's life. Uh, We always refer to it as her rebellious years. There are many stories from that time of her life, which I'd be happy to share with you if you ask me afterwards. Um, But this particular video that we pulled out documented um, Christmas of that year. And they were at her grandparents' house. And so her and her brother and her two cousins just received brand new scooters for Christmas. 
And so Witt's dad's out there videotaping them, and they're driving their scooters all up and down the driveway. And you see uh, Bryce, her brother, drive by, and then you see her two cousins ride by. But then about every 30 seconds in this five-minute video clip, you just see this cute face with all these little curls, like, pop up from the bottom of the camera, desperately trying to get in the frame, and yelling, Hi, I'm Willie Thompson. Peace. <laughs> it was awesome. I, uh, I will cherish that moment forever whenever I got to see that video. Um, but isn't that what kids do, right? When you pull out uh, your iPhone and you're taking a video of something here around Christmas time, all kids want to be in front of the camera, right? They want to be recognized. They want to be announced. They want to be treated like they're important. Um, and just a news flash for the kids in here, I'm sorry, and parents, you know this. Kids aren't as important as they think they are. And n- none of us are, right? Can we just accept that fact? We're not as important as we think we are. Uh, but there, there are some kinds of people that do deserve recognition and announcement whenever they walk into a room. So for instance, if we were at a party together, let's say all of us are at a party, and Whitley, six-year-old Whitley, walks in the room, and then the president walks in the room at the same time. The president, rightly so, whether it's himself or like his secret service or somebody else, it's right for them to say, hello, I'm the president, I'm here now, this makes a difference on this party, you should know I'm here. Uh, But it's not right, nobody would really care or bat an eye if six-year-old Whitley walked in and said, hi, I'm Whitley Thompson. Everybody would be like, and then just keep going. (laughs) But the servant of God The servant king, the one who's anointed and beloved by God, appointed for God's task. If there's anyone who deserves recognition and and acknowledgement, it's this king. He deserves to be recognized. And yet that's not the way that he comes. He does not come crying out. He doesn't announce his arrival to his people. He comes quietly and humbly. And the picture gets even more interesting when you look at verse 3. The king doesn't come to break bruised reeds or to quench faintly burning wicks. The king does not come chopping down half-dead trees or dousing fires that are about to go out. Rather, he comes gently to those who are hurting. And to those who are the most fragile, the servant comes to heal and not to destroy. And this is not typical of a king. We think of the kings and the leaders of this world, those who are the most fragile, those who do not have a voice, don't get recognized. They get pushed to the side. They get trampled upon. But God has compassion on bruised reeds and on faintly burning wicks. And that is good news for us. And that's good news for the world. Because we are all, whether we recognize it or not, we are all bruised reeds. And during the holiday season, you may feel this more acutely. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you are struggling to try to figure out still how you're going to have enough money to pay for your kids to have Christmas presents. And so you're here and you're scraping, trying to find a place to scrape that money from. And you're feeling ashamed because you can't provide for your kids a Christmas present and you want to. Or maybe you're here and you're suffering 
acutely from the loss of a loved one, maybe recently or maybe a long time ago. But the Christmas season makes it feel so close. Or maybe you're wrestling with the fact that you have a family member or a friend that you are fighting with, and this will be another Christmas that you don't talk, that you don't spend together. We all need a king who knows and understands our deep pain. We need a king who, unlike the kings of this world, looks us in the face and says, I see you. I see what you are going through, and I love you. I have compassion on you in the midst of it. But we don't just need somebody who can weep with us. We need someone with the power to save us. And that's why this passage also talks about the Messiah as a majestic and powerful Messiah. So let's read on. I'm going to read verse 1 again so we have it in our minds. And then I'm going to read uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So in verse 4 there, the servant, God's king, is directly contrasted with the broken and bruised people he's come to save. So you might not see this on the surface, but, but it is there. And especially it's apparent in, uh, in the Hebrew of this text, the, the original language that this passage was written in. But you can still see it in your English Bible. So if you're using uh, an English standard version of the Bible, that's the version I used for this uh, sermon. If you have one of those, you can look up at the word discouraged and there's a footnote on it. And then if you trace that footnote to the bottom of the page, it says that another possible translation for the word discouraged is bruised. And this is because, I promise, this matters for this text. I'm not just nerding out on Hebrew words, although I could do that afterwards if you wanted me to. Uh, But this is important. The adjectives bruised and faintly burning used to describe the people that the servant comes to save in verse 3 are the exact same words that are used in verse 4 to show what the servant is not. So his people may be faint and bruised, but the Messiah comes as one who is strong and mighty. To use the language picked up in verses 6 and 7, he is a piercingly bright light to the nations, even as they dwell in deep darkness. Nothing will stop this bulldozer of grace and justice from tearing up the present evil age and constructing his kingdom. And this is the kind of Messiah that we need because we need a king who actually has the power to accomplish salvation for us. Again, this is something that the kings of this world cannot give us. They can only make promises of change, promises of salvation. But as you and I both know, these never amount to anything. Or if they do, it's never what we fully hope it will be. We need a king who will faithfully establish God's salvation in our lives and in our world. And as you have probably seen coming, since this is Christmas, Jesus is that king 
And Jesus is that child. That baby born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is the king that all human hearts long for. You see, Jesus is a meek Messiah. He didn't come shouting in the streets, declaring his arrival, but he was born as a baby to a woman in a feeding trough in a small town. The king of everything came as a vulnerable infant. He did not come crying out in the streets. He came crying in a manger. And this is rightly why the song asks the question, why lies he in such mean estate where ox and lamb are feeding? Jesus' earthly ministry as well was characterized by his compassion for those who were hurting, just like you and me. He goes to the sick, the poor, the outcast, and the sinner, and to those he proclaims good news. He identified with our human experience. He entered in and he understood firsthand the tragedy of what it means to live in an evil, fallen world. And yet, at the same time, Jesus was also a majestic Messiah. You see, even as Jesus... The infant is there being held by his mother, Mary. He is holding the stars and the planets in orbit. As Jesus is baptized at his baptism, God's spirit descends upon him. And God the Father says over him, this is my beloved son, just like God says over the servant in Isaiah 42. See, Jesus doesn't just sympathize with the sick or the demon-possessed or sinful But in his power, he actually heals. He casts out demons. He forgives sins. He not only sees and cares for our need, he has the power to work salvation for us. And this culminates in his death and resurrection. See, as he is spit upon and mocked and beaten, Jesus does not cry out. Jesus does not lift up his voice. Jesus is humbled to the point of death on a cross. And during the punishment for human evil, Jesus is made not just a bruised reed, but a broken reed on our behalf. Nails, spears shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me, for you. And yet... Jesus is then raised from the dead in majesty and power, and he ascends to rule over the universe at the right hand of God, where he is working his saving justice for all kinds of people from all corners of the globe. We need a king who is both majestic and meek, both exalted and humble, both God and man. And Jesus is this king that we need. And this fact is good news for us this Christmas, church. Because Jesus comes to us who are broken. He identifies with us and he knows our experience in a messed up world. And not only that, he actually has the power to save us. As he accomplished salvation in his life, death, and resurrection. And here's the real meat of this. When we trust in him... We become the delight of God and are empowered by God's spirit just as Jesus is. 
good news this Christmas, church. Let's trust this king and follow this king. Because we know, we know that the kings and the things of this world have no power to make things right. Only Jesus does. And so we must recognize our need and run to him. And he will have compassion on us. And he will save us in his power. What child is this? This is Christ the King. In the remaining portion of the sermon, I want to show us two ways in which that good news has to affect us. If we claim to follow Jesus, it has to matter for our lives. I see this in verses 8 through 12. So I'm going to read that whole section for us, and then we're going to look at these two responses briefly. Verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands, And their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the habitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. This whole passage of of chapter 42, but especially verses 8 and 9 that we just read there at the beginning of this section. These, these verses are best understood when we understand them in light of what has come before in chapter 41. And I wish we had more time to look at this. But at the end of chapter 41, the last nine verses there, uh, God lays a divine smackdown, if you will, against the idols of the nations that the people of Israel are worshiping. And God taunts the idols. And in so doing, he's actually uh, chiding his own people for trusting in such weak gods. But what he specifically taunts them for is the idol's inability to both look into the future and predict what's going to happen and actually make things happen, actually wield history to change in the present. But look at what God says here in verse, okay, verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Okay, so God has the power to change the present, unlike the idols. And new things I declare. He's telling what's going to happen in the future, unlike the idols. And what God has promised back then this promise of a Savior who would come and bring about justice has come to pass in Jesus Christ. So he is that Savior who is bringing about justice. And now what follows directly from this in the text? Verse 10, what follows directly from the good news of the Messiah who has saved us? Sing to the Lord a new song. A command to sing to the Lord. You see, worship is the only response that makes sense when staring in the face of the king of the universe who took on flesh 
for us. And let me tell you something. The song that's being talked about here is not a neat and tidy, lip service kind of song like we sing so oftentimes on Sunday mornings. This song is not like this. That is not what's being talked about. This is a ruckus choir of nations singing in praise to our God. And this type of singing is what's going to resound for all eternity to the praise of our God when he comes and he finishes his work of justice. And so, just like when God saved his people miraculously in the Exodus, so now we who have been saved by the Messiah, who've been let out of sin and darkness, our only response that makes sense is to erupt in praise to God. Praise is the response of a heart of faith. So friends, how is your praise? It might sound like a weird question, but I think it gets deep down to the way in which we actually trust in Jesus and express it. Do we truly sing for joy? Let's think about this, okay? So this is, my, this is my jam, okay? I'm preaching and I'm the music director at our church. So watch out. Here we go. So when we sing corporately as a church, do we reflect the news that we have received in the gospel? Do we actually sing like we've received the best possible news imaginable? I'm saying there's more for us. That's all I'm saying. If we have received the news that we have been brought from death to life. The only song that makes sense is one that is loud and full of joy because we need to respond to what has happened to us with emotions that are fitting to that event. And God has saved us miraculously in the gospel. Oh man, whenever we sing as a church, I hope that when people drive by on Sunday mornings, They are like, what is that weird 9 a.m. party that they are having at that church on Sunday morning? That's what it needs to be. We have been brought from death to life. The king is bringing justice for us and for our world. Our response has to be fitting. And so even tomorrow night as we gather for Christmas Eve, We gather to celebrate what God has done in sending his son. I pray that we would sing with such joy that this neighborhood is like, what is going on in that building? Because we've received Jesus. He's come to us. And that is some good news. Okay, next and final response. This song of praise does not just stop with us. It doesn't stop in our homes It doesn't stop in the walls of this building. Our songs of joy in God ought to spill out to every nation on the planet. I think the line from the movie Elf rings true here. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Right? That's exactly what this text in Isaiah is about. If by Christmas cheer you mean the fact that God has visited his people in flesh in order to save them, I'm all about it then. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And that's that's why this passage continually talks about the good news of Jesus reaching to the nations. 
That's why it continually talks about the coastlands. Okay, some of you might have picked that up and said, oh, we're supposed to go to the beach and talk about Jesus. Like some of you beach lovers are like, all right, I can do that. Sorry, that's not what it's about. Uh, but it might apply. Um, the coastlands, was a, it was a way to refer to the farthest reaches of the globe. It was a way to say the servant's mission and proclamation of salvation is going to go everywhere where people are to be found. And the servant's work and message of salvation that's going to reach all the nations isn't just something for the servant. See, because when we trust in Christ, if we are beloved of God and we're empowered by God's spirit, our task then is the same as the servant's. It's to proclaim the salvation of God to the ends of the earth, to sing in joy what God has done for us. So church, this Christmas, I pray that the joy that you have in the message of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ would spill out of your life, your home, and our church to the nations. I pray that you would be so filled up with joy at what Jesus has done for you that you might go to your neighbor and invite them to Christmas Eve service tomorrow night. I pray that you'd be so filled up with joy that you would go to a loved one this Christmas and have that conversation with them about Christ and the gospel that you know you've been putting off for far too long. I pray that some of you, maybe one of you, might actually have such joy in God, take the command of God seriously that you say, I'm actually going to go to the nations. That's not too far from us. All of us who have been baptized into Christ are given the commission to go to the ends of the earth, baptizing and preaching the gospel in his name. I pray that that would be the case. But for all of us this Christmas, I pray that we would be a people who are so caught up with King Jesus' gospel of salvation that we sing loud so that the whole world might hear of the joy to be found in him. I pray that the neighborhood knows it. I pray that your neighborhood knows it where you live. I pray that your family knows it. And so what we get to do right now uh, is we get to practice. So we got Christmas Eve coming up tomorrow night. The band's going to come back up and lead us in joy to the world. Okay? What a fitting song to close this sermon with. I'm already excited. It was awesome first service. I can't wait. Let's sing like this. That we have been given a joy worth singing about. And so let's do this little dress rehearsal now and then come back tomorrow night for our Christmas Eve service and let's just sing so the roof comes off this place and God is glorified and the gospel is proclaimed. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the joy that is found in Jesus and his message of salvation. Lord, thank you for not leaving us in our need but coming to us gently and in power in your Son. And Lord, we thank you that that message doesn't just stop with us, but goes out to the world. Lord, you're such a good Savior. And Lord, I pray that uh, through our church, even this Christmas, that you might use us to see more people come to know you, more people be wrapped up in this song of joy that one day heaven and earth are going to sing for eternity. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.